bicycle Cela veut dire La bicyclette, la bicyclette On Amérique tout le monde rit The bike, the bike, the bike, bike, bike The bike, the bike, the bike, bike, bike That's right, you're listening to The Bike Show on Resonance 104.4 FM with me, Jack Thurston. Action-packed, full-to-bursting show this week. I don't know how it's going to all fit into the next half an hour, but we're going to be um, hearing from the mayor of Copenhagen and we're going to be talking about Bradley Wiggins, the new British star of the Tour de France. And uh, we're going to end up with a kind of um, comedy surrealist montage um, bringing together the works of um, Alfred Jarry, and Monty Python. Yes, uh, this is The Bike Show on Resonance FM. If you've not heard the uh, bike show before, it's um, a radio show about bicycles. But um, we, we don't focus an awful lot on the actual bicycles themselves a little bit more about the act of cycling and um, how we get around how we enjoy getting out on the bikes and one of the cities that you will go to if you are wanting to find the best way to organize city life for a bicycle friendly experience is of course Copenhagen this is the city probably I think that leads the world in terms of uh, bicycle facilities there's certainly the number of people who ride bikes and just the general enlightened attitude to do- towards two wheels i mean not far behind i guess is amsterdam and freiburg and some of the um uh, north uh, german cities hamburg perhaps and also berlin but um copenhagen i think leads the way and uh, a couple of months ago now i was at the cycle cities Uh, conference at um, the European Parliament in Brussels. Um, It's something that happens every every couple of years, I think, or is every year. This year it was being held in Brussels, the capital of Belgium. Um, Next year it's going to be held in Copenhagen. And um, I spoke with the mayor of Copenhagen, Klaus Bondam, who's actually one of several mayors. Um, He has responsibility for uh, transport and um, kind of urban environment uh, technology uh, type of things. And I asked him what it was that he was saying by way of encouragement to other cities leaders at the um, Cyclicities Conference. Communicating that it uh, takes uh, political courage uh, to uh, do these things 
and it also takes uh, financial willingness to invest in these things. It is very expensive to invest in infrastructure for one single man or one single woman in one single car. I mean, that's basically the uh, that's basically the answer to that. Be ambitious, be courageous, and and link the issue together. The, the, the bicycle and pedestrian issue, link that together with urban life, uh, obesity, public health, um, relax, relaxation. I mean, I, I mean, I'm, I'm quite a busy man myself, uh, being a mayor. Uh, you know. To, having the cell phone all the time and emails and so on. I actually enjoy my two times 30 minutes a day with no cell phone. I mean, just being there in the city, looking at people. And it actually also, I think many uh, of our cities are also uh, concerned with the security problem. I mean, we would like to have people on the street. We would like to have a sound, safe environment on the street. And uh, I mean, there was a lady in Copenhagen that recently told me, I asked her, we've had a bit of, we have had some gang war going on. And it's been a big issue. And then I, I asked her, do you feel unsafe? And then she said, no, when I'm on my bike, I feel safe. Because <laughs> I can get away and I can see what goes on and I can get away. And I think actually it was a quite interesting point. It's, it's good to have, if you want a safe city and if you want socially acceptable good behavior on the street, it's good to have, well, basically normal, well-behaving people just there on the street. So we can look after each other, so we can fill the streets with, uh, with good behaviour, non-polluting good behaviour. I've had uh, conversations, uh, not with your mayor in London, but with uh, former uh, uh, vice mayor, Nicky Gavron, who is a close friend of Copenhagen. What are the toughest decisions that you've had to make to promote cycling in Copenhagen? The toughest decision is when you have to reduce parking places to make a bicycle lane. Uh, I usually describe it sort of as the cultural value battle of the of the cities, because basically when you the car the individual car has for many people sort of is the uh, symbol of personal freedom and individual freedom, and of course for all of us who live in democratic societies, when we feel that somebody touches our individual freedom, I mean we we we. We feel insecure, we get pressed, and, and that, that creates some quite big uh, confrontation sometimes uh, politically. But we have a, not a political consensus in, in Copenhagen, but we have a very broad political majority on this issue. And what advice would you give to London's new cycling mayor? Because we now have a cycling mayor. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Communicate the added effects communicate that this is very good for public health it's very good to fighting obesity amongst uh, uh, young children uh, it uh, it uh, helps reduce uh, noise pollution and air pollution it creates much better urban spaces if you fight with congestion and park cars on squares and so on so basically you have to communicate that investing in bicycle and pedestrian accessibility uh, you create uh, a better life or as uh, the civilian mayor told today a modern city. And so a year from now at the closing of Velocity Global in Copenhagen 2010, what will be your markers for success for uh, your hosting of this uh, conference next year? Uh, we have actually in the last uh, six months we have had 265 foreign delegation visiting our administration uh, getting insights on, uh, on uh, 
bicycle infrastructure and so on. I would like to triple that number because we would like, we would like also being the host of the UN Climate uh, Summit in, in December, we would like to communicate that we want to present ourselves as an example for other cities all over the world, not sort of putting our nose in the air, but basically communicating on what you can do, exchanging experiences, and also, I mean, what we in Copenhagen with half a million people does might not make a big difference in, in the world's uh, of climate battle. But if the mayor of London or the mayor of New York or the mayor of Sydney, who have huge, immense, big cities, can see on a smaller scale what this can do, it's 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 good. I mean, then we have uh, then we have played our part right. Ah, that's Klaus Bondam, the mayor of Copenhagen. And one of the interesting things that happened at the Cycle Cities um, conference in Brussels was the launch of a new um, cyclists kind of dictionary or thesaurus or phrase book um, for for all the European languages. It had kind of keywords and key phrases uh, for cyclists um, so that they could feel at home or at least make themselves understood in other countries um, around the European Union. It was a, a huge success and to the point where it was kind of it all the copies had disappeared um, by the end and I wasn't able to snag any because I wanted to get a few um, to, uh, to, to give away on the show but hopefully they'll do a reprint another print run of the phrase book um, the compendium the linguistic compendium to European cycling um, and Klaus Bondum, the mayor of Copenhagen, said that there was a new word which had recently entered the Danish lexicon. Uh, well, we have uh, recently introduced quite a strange word for you. Uh, it's called uh, bicycle congestion, because we do have in some intersections, uh, we, we do uh, have uh, bicycle congestions that you as a cyclist has to wait between two or three green lights to get over. And the word is? Sugilkø. Uh, <laughs> We're trying to choose that in London, yeah. I hope. There you have it, Schudelkut. I guess that's probably a bad pronunciation. I don't know a word of Danish, but Schudelkut, is that, uh, that's the Danish word for a um, bicycle traffic jam. Fantastic. Um, I, I think it's some way before uh, we get that here in London, but hope springs eternal. Um, one of the interesting things that I thought that the mayor had to say was the was talking about the political challenge of taking space away from um, cars and giving it over to, to bicycles and pedestrians. And, and he said that this was not something that was easy. In fact, it was what he identified as the most difficult political challenge that he faced in Copenhagen. It's certainly, you know, you feel like when you get a new bike lane or a new area that's set aside uh, for cyclists, you know, that feels like a huge victory. And um, we don't have nearly enough of it here in London. But when we do get it, more than often you find somebody's parked in it whether it's an ice cream van, just a, 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 an ordinary car, a lorry, or even a police van. Um, people just think that bike lanes are there for their, you know, convenience. Um, yeah, it's a bike lane. Well, no, it's actually a, a parking space. And, and if I don't want to park in it, then the cyclist can use it. Well, this, I'm afraid, is not on. And what can you do about it? Well, there's a website which I've recently come across called mybikelane.com, which allows you to take photographs of people who are violating bike lanes and um, upload them. 
um, to the website with uh, the location, the date, the time and everything else and the uh, license plate of the offending vehicle and they're published um, online and there is now a, a small number of photographs of offending vehicles in London um, under the uh, the sort of sub-site of mybikelane.com and that's london.mybikelane.com I think this is a brilliant thing. I mean, I don't know what the legal aspects of it are, but um, I think we should just go ahead and do it. I've uploaded a few pictures and I'm going to go out and take more because, you know, we all walk around with a camera in our pockets now. We've got a mobile phone. Almost every mobile phone seems to have a camera in. It's certainly good enough to, uh, to snap uh, someone parked in a bike lane or some random roadworks or other obstructions. It's pretty amazing the kind of things that crop up in bike lanes in this city and I think it's a problem all around the world judging by uh, the kind of photographs that are uploaded on mybikelane.com there's a lot in New York and a few other North American cities um, but it really does seem to be a worldwide phenomenon and it's a it's a very easy site to use it's very easy and to register you don't have to give your name you can be anonymous all it lacks really is some kind of um, iPhone or Google, Android, uh, Nokia application that would allow you to directly um, take a photograph with your smartphone and and ping it off into the internet. But I'm sure that is going to come one day. And if you're a coder, if you know how to make an iPhone application, then I think this would be a really good one for you to work on. So uh, if you need any encouragement from the bike show, uh, consider yourself encouraged. So check it out, mybikelane.com. believe we've got halfway through this week's show without even um, mentioning the Tour de France. Um, we're now entering into the into the third and final week, but it all happened yesterday, and I've got my copy of L'Equipe here with me today, and it was actually quite hard to track down a copy of L'Equipe in London today. I think I think there was, there was, there was a run on them. Everyone, everyone wanted their um, uh, souvenir issue of um, the big Sunday, where it all really blew apart, and the, and the front page has a just an enormous picture here of of Alberto Contador um, with his hand in the air and the headline Contador, Le Matador. Um, And um, lots of interesting analysis. Uh, Armstrong comes back to earth. Wiggins has really changed. And it's to Bradley Wiggins that we now turn because he is is the hero uh, for British uh, supporters of um, cycle sport and supporters of the British riders. He's the one. We had Mark Cavendish in the first uh, week getting all those stage wins and hopes for the green jersey now dashed, sadly. Um, but but Wiggins is now in third place, which is the highest place of for a British rider in the history of the Tour de France. Who's to say whether he'll finish in third, but there are people talking about him finishing on the podium or even, um, you know, second I mean, that, that would be absolutely extraordinary. There's a little bit of background to this, because um, Bradley Wiggins is a multiple um, Olympic medal-winning pursuit rider. He's, he's a big guy on the track, 
And, and, and I think a lot of people said over the last couple of years, seeing him racing for Cofidis and, uh, and seeing him in the Tour de France, not really, you know, being in amongst the best, thought, well, he's never going to be able to transfer his, uh, his track talent to the, uh, to, to the road. But it seems like that is exactly what he's done. Um, and he is now riding with the best of them, time trialling as well as he's ever done. Um, and also climbing really, really well, having uh, lost a bit of weight, apparently. But one thing that he doesn't seem to have uh, really got the hang of is dealing with the media. I think it might be time for um, Bradley Wiggins to uh, take a little bit of a uh, little bit of media training, unless, you know, his dry wit is so dry that um, he likes to conduct interviews, making life very difficult for the journalists but um, he probably ought to remember that the Tour de France was begun as a, as a media stunt it was begun by Lotto which is which was a uh, with the success the, the predecessor of L'Equipe uh, newspaper um, and it's really is a media a media event um, and uh, he probably ought to do a little bit better in those interviews I thought um, I might help him out um, with a track that I hope Bradley Wiggins would appreciate and um, to all his naysayers I think he's having the last laugh right now. You were able to counter-attack the best with Armstrong, Claude and Son. You've done a great performance there. Yeah, I have, yeah. What do you want me to say? I don't know. I don't know what to say. You, you proved to be among the best at this Tour de France. You reckon? We'll see, eh? There's a long way to go. You know, let's not get too excited, you know. That's one day. Tomorrow's another day. Tomorrow could be last in the Tour de France, you know. Who knows? But you, you're satisfied, Brad, no? Yeah. What do you think? You can't judge apple by looking at a tree. You can't judge honey by looking at the bee. You can't judge a daughter by looking at the mother. You can't judge a book by looking at the cover. You certainly can't judge Bradley Wiggins by uh, looking at the cover. I certainly wish Bradley Wiggins all the uh, all the strength that he needs to get through two very tough uh, mountain stages. Tuesday is a softener, really, for for what's in store on Wednesday with five very big coals. And if he makes it over that, well, then you know um, he's definitely going to be a contender in the next uh, in the next few years for winning the Tour de France. I think it's as simple as that. It's from the Tour de France that we now turn to um, to a Frenchman uh, who was around at the very, very beginning of the, uh, the Tour de France. Um, I'm talking about Alfred Jarry, 
the uh, writer, the pataphysician, the kind of literary prankster um, who wrote what became quite famous in the 20th century, a piece called The Crucifixion Considered as an Uphill Bicycle Race. And I thought as the uh, Tour de France heads further into the mountains of the Alps, ending up at Le Mont Ventoux on Saturday, um, that we ought to uh, feature this this piece. And I was uh, very pleased to have um, Peter Blegvad, the multi-talented musician, singer, songwriter and cartoonist, um, to, uh, to read out um, an English translation of the crucifixion considered as an uphill bicycle race. Barabbas, slated to race, was scratched. Pilate, the starter, pulling out his clepsydra, or water clock, an operation which wet his hands unless he had merely spit on them, Pilate gave the send-off. Jesus got away to a good start. In those days, according to the excellent sports commentator St. Matthew, it was customary to flagellate the sprinters at the start the way a coachman whips his horses. The whip both stimulates and gives a hygienic massage. Jesus then got off in good form, but he had a flat right away. A bed of thorns punctured the whole circumference of his front tire. Today in the shop windows of bicycle dealers, you see a reproduction of this veritable crown of thorns as an ad for puncture-proof tires, but Jesus's was an ordinary single-tube racing tire. The two thieves, obviously in cahoots and therefore thick as thieves, took the lead. It is not true that there were any nails. The three objects usually shown in the ads belong to a rapid-change tire tool called the jiffy. We had better begin by telling about the spills, but before that the machine itself must be described. The bicycle frame in use today is of relatively recent invention. It appeared around 1890. Previous to that time, the body of the machine was constructed of two tubes soldered together at right angles. It was generally called the right angle or cross bicycle. Jesus, after his puncture, climbed the slope on foot, carrying on his shoulder the bike frame or, if you will, the cross. Contemporary engravings reproduce this scene from photographs, but it appears that the sport of cycling, as a result of the well-known accident which put a grievous end to the passion race and which was brought up to date almost on its anniversary by the similar accident of Count Zabrowski on the Turby Slope, the sport of cycling was for a time prohibited by state ordinance. That explains why the illustrated magazines, in reproducing this celebrated scene, show bicycles of a rather imaginary design. They confuse the machine's cross frame with that other cross, the straight handlebar. They represent Jesus with his hands spread on the handlebars, and it is worth mentioning in this connection that Jesus rode lying flat on his back in order to reduce his air resistance. <laughs> ¶¶ 
Note also that the frame or cross was made of wood, just as wheels are to this day. A few people have insinuated falsely that Jesus' machine was a draisienne, an unlikely mount for a hill-climbing contest. According to the old cyclophile hagiographers, St. Bridget, St. Gregory of Tours, and St. Irene, the cross was equipped with a device which they name supendanium. There is no need to be a great scholar to translate this as pedal. Lipsius, Justinian, Bosius, and Ursius Putanus describe another accessory which one still finds, according to Cornelius Curtius in 1643, on Japanese crosses, a protuberance of leather or wood on the shaft which the rider sits astride, manifestly the seat or saddle. This general description, furthermore, suits the definition of a bicycle current among the Chinese, Quote, a little mule, which is led by the ears and urged along by showering it with kicks, unquote. We shall abridge the story of the race itself, for it has been narrated in detail by specialized works and illustrated by sculpture and painting visible in monuments built to house such art. There are fourteen turns in the difficult Golgotha course. Jesus took his first spill at the third turn. His mother, who was in the stands, became alarmed. His excellent trainer, Simon the Cyrenian, who, but for the thorn accident, would have been riding out in front to cut the wind, carried the machine. Jesus, though carrying nothing, perspired heavily. It is not certain whether a female spectator wiped his brow, but we know that Veronica, a girl reporter, got a good shot of him with her Kodak. The second spill came at the seventh turn on some slippery pavement. Jesus went down for the third time at the eleventh turn, skidding on a rail. The Israelite demi-mondaine waved their handkerchiefs at the eighth. The deplorable accident familiar to us all took place at the twelfth turn. Jesus was in a dead heat at the time with the thieves. We know that he continued the race airborne, but that is another story. That was Peter Blegvad reading The Crucifixion Considered as an Uphill Bicycle Race by Alfred Jarry, and the translation there was by Roger Shattuck. Um, it has been a, an action-packed show, and so I'm going to rush straight on to um, the Monty Python piece, which was perhaps inspired by uh, Alfred Jarry, and uh, that will take us up to the 7 o'clock hour and one life left. So enjoy the last week of the Tour de France from me. Chapeau! And now for more news of the momentous artistic event when Pablo Picasso is doing a specially commissioned painting for us whilst riding a bicycle. Pablo Picasso, the founder of modern art, without doubt the greatest abstract painter ever, for the first time painting in motion. But first of all, let's have a look at the route he'll be taking. Well, uh, Picasso will be starting, David, at Chichester here. He'll then cycle on the A29 to Fontwell. He'll then take the A272, which will bring him onto the A3, just north of Hindhead, here. From then on, Pablo has a straight run on the A3 until he meets the South Circular at Battersea, here. Well, this is a truly remarkable occasion. It's the first time that a modern artist of such stature 
has taken the A272. And it'll be very interesting to see how he copes with the heavy traffic round Wisborough Green. Vicky. Oh, well, Picasso will be riding his Viking Super Road Star with the drop handlebars and the dual thread wheel rims. And with his Wiley Pratt 20 to 1 synchromesh, he should experience difficulties on these sort of road surfaces they just don't get abroad. Mitzi. And now for the latest report on Picasso's progress, over to Reg Moss on the Guildford Bypass. Well, there's no sign of Picasso at the moment, David, but he should be through here at any moment. However, I do have with me Mr Ron Geppo, British cycling sprint champion and this year's winner of the Derby Doncaster Rally. Well, well, Reg, I think Pablo should be all right, provided he doesn't attempt anything on the monumental scale of some of his earlier paintings, like uh, Guernica or Mademoiselle Davion, or even his later War and Peace murals for the Temple of Peace Chapel at Valerie. Because with this strong headwind, I don't think even Doug Timpson of Manchester Areas could paint anything on that kind of scale. Well, thank you, Ron. Well, there still seems to be no sign of Picasso, so I'll hand you back to the studio. Well, we've just heard that Picasso is approaching the Tolworth roundabout on the A3. So come in, Sam Trench at Tolworth. Well, something certainly is happening here at Tolworth roundabout, David. I can now see Picasso. He's cycling down very hard towards the roundabout. He's about 75, 50 yards away, and I can now see his painting. It's an abstract. I can see some blue, some purple, uh, some little black oval shapes. I think I can see... That's not Picasso, that's Kandinsky. Good Lord, you're right. It's Kandinsky, Wassily Kandinsky. And who's this year with him? It's Bark, George Bark the Cubist, painting a bird in flight over a cornfield and going very fast down the hill towards Kingston. And Pete Mondrian just behind, Pete Mondrian, the near pastors, little gap. Uh, then the main bunch, here they come. Chagall, Max Ernst, Miro, Doofy, uh, Ben Nicholson, Jackson Pollock, and the better buffet making a break on the outside here. Bancuzzi's going with him. So Chirico, Ferdinand Ledger, Delaunay, Dacudi, Kokoschka stopping back here behind a little bit. Uh, so is Paul Clay dropping back a bit. And back at the right at the back of this group, our very own Kurt Schwitters. But German. as yet absolutely no sign of Pablo Picasso. And so, from Tolworth Roundabout, back to the studio. Well, I think I can help you there, Sam. We're getting reports in from the AA that Picasso... Picasso has fallen off. He's fallen off his bicycle on the B2127 just outside Ewhurst, trying to get a shortcut through to Dorking via Gomslake and Pease Hall. Well, Picasso is reported to be unhurt, but the pig has a slight headache. <laughs> and on that note, we must say goodnight to you. Picasso has failed in his first bid for international cycling fame. So from all of us here at the It's the Art Studio, it's good night. <laughs>